Another episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl Lane, as always, whether you're listening via SoundCloud, the l Radio Network, or the Columbia, South Carolina radio app, or if you're just on Gina. Shout out to on Gina. Thank you for making me and this show part of your day on this Saturday afternoon. Great show today. Back in Buffalo, New York, the 716, Amherst to be specific. That's say Buffalo because most people only know Buffalo when you talk about where you're from. I just say I'm from Buffalo. You know, I'm technically from Amherst. That's getting into very minute details. We're going to have John Alphys on the show, Cleveland Indians beat writer for CBS, and Cleveland Cavaliers reporter for AP Radio Metro Networks. We are also going to discuss the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors because if everybody knows, I have... Since day one, since the playoffs started, really, really since the season, the NBA season started, I've been, Warriors are going to win the West, the Cavaliers are going to win the East. And I know the Warriors just got blasted by the Houston Rockets, and the Cavs are down 2-0 against the Boston Celtics. But here's why I'm not worried. The Warriors really don't need any explanation. They're going back 1-1, even though they got blasted by the Rockets in game two. They got blown out. They're going back to Oakland, Golden State. They're going back to their home, 1-1, which I expect Golden State to win both Game 3 and Game 4 pretty convincingly, lose Game 5 at Houston, then close it out in Game 6. Now the Cavs. The Cavs are where there is a little bit more concern. That That's where the you know the drama starts. Could it, could, could it happen? Could LeBron really lose these baby Celtics? But, I, but I, I was thinking. There is a reason why there's home and road games in sports. The home team is supposed to have an advantage. You sleep on the you sleep when when you're on the road. You don't get to sleep on your own bed. You don't get to eat your own food. You're not at your same arena. You don't have your fans cheering for you. It's foreign territory. Cause cause home is comfort. You know, when you're away, when you're away, that's not comfortable. It's not easy being away. Vice versa, home it's comfort. You sleep in your own bed. You get your own food. You're, you're at the same arena you've always been to. Everything is the same. You get to stay in your normal routine. So, there's an old saying in the NBA. The series doesn't start till the home team loses or till the road team wins. That's when the series truly starts. The series already started in, in Golden State. The series started. The series has not started yet with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know. Boston won both. They won game one dominantly on Sunday. And then on Tuesday, the Cavs had a bit of a meltdown. And LeBron came out scoring 21 points in the first quarter. 
and the Boston Celtics ended up being a little bit too much. But let's think about this. Even though the Cavs lost game one twenty by 25 points, LeBron had an awful game. Had 15 points and 7 turnovers, shot 31% from the field. In game two, they lost by 13 points to the Celtics. LeBron played great. 42 points, had 10 rebounds, 12 assists. A 40-point triple-double while shooting 53% from the field. I can't take all that. I, I can't... When we look at the totality, the, the games, they don't mean as much to me as because they were in Boston. If this happened and the Cavs were going back to Boston and they lost, and the Cavs lost both their games in the Q, or in the Q, they lost both their games in Cleveland, they're going back to Boston, I would be worried. But they're going back to Cleveland. Boston is 8-0 at home this postseason. They're a great road team. That's what they hang their hat on. But on the road, Boston struggled a little bit in this playoffs. Remember, it took them seven games to beat the Milwaukee Bucks, who fired their coach Jason Kidd in the middle of the season. The Milwaukee Bucks are not a great basketball team. And the Celtics couldn't win a game on the road. And the Celtics barely won a game on the road against the Philadelphia 76ers. Celtics have only won one game on the road this postseason. And role players, they don't play well on the road. That's why we see J.R. Smith playing awful in Boston. He's shooting like 12% in the first two games. George Hill and J.R. Smith, they combined for three points a game too. <laughs> and here's the also thing we have to take into account. LeBron James has struggled in game one in every series this postseason. He's shooting 37% from the field. Not LeBron-like. LeBron James is shooting like in the, in the mid-50s. So here's the question I will ask now. Do we really believe the Celtics can win a road game? Do we? Because here's another question I'll ask you. And it's not really a question because we've already seen it answered. Can LeBron James come back from down 0-2? He came back from down 3-1 against the Golden State Warriors who had 73 wins. People were saying they were better than Michael Jordan's 72-win Chicago Bulls. And LeBron came back against that team. LeBron came back down 3-2 against the Boston Celtics. The, the big three Celtics with Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, with Rajon Rondo, coached by Doc Rivers. Going back to Boston, down 3-2. Elimination game. The weight of the world on his shoulders. This is 2012, just coming back in 2011, when LeBron James... Froze up in the finals against the Dallas Mavericks. There's so much pressure on LeBron, if we all remember. There was so much pressure on him during that time. And he delivered. He delivered. Dominated the game. He got the series back to a game seven. And the Heat won. Went on to win a championship against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Four games to one. We've seen LeBron in these situations. And those Boston Celtics... With Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Rajon Rondo are better than these Celtics with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson, coached by Steve Kerr, are better than these Celtics. Right now, with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford. They're just better. So, no, I'm not that worried about the Cavs. I'm just not that worried. They lose game three tonight. I will be worried. I I've seen LeBron in these situations too many times over the course of my life. I I've just seen it too much. But here's something I would be worried about that I've seen from LeBron James. Him leaving Cleveland. That is something to be worried about for all the fans in Cleveland. The worst thing in the world is working with incompetent people. They don't know what they're doing. You have to pick up more slack. You have to consistently micromanage. Things are never done the right way. Things are hectic. It's chaotic. It's not a good environment. And that is why I don't think LeBron's going to stay. Not unless they pull something out of their arses and get Kawhi Leonard. If they trade that number eight, the number eight overall pick the guy in the lottery, and Kevin Love for Kawhi Leonard. That's the only way LeBron's staying. But far be it from that happening, LeBron James is leaving Cleveland. He's leaving. The Cavs have been terrible pre-LeBron and after LeBron. <laughs> the only time they've ever had really great prosperity in the franchise is when LeBron was there. I played football at Amherst, and when I was there, I don't know now, but when I was there, 
there was always a lot of extracurriculars there on the football team. There was always a lot of storylines, bad storylines, chaotic and I dare say a toxic environment. When I played football in Amherst, parents were always complaining about the coach. Kids were always complaining about wanting to play different positions. Fat kid, chub, big bone kids said they want to play running back. Kids that, kids wouldn't go to practice. One kid, one, one kid signed a petition to try to get the coach fired. Kids would quit when they weren't starting. Kids would talk back to the coach. There's one kid that would always remember how he was cussing out the coach. One kid got arrested and lied to the coach. There was always a lot of drama surrounding the football team, always a lot of pointing fingers. It, it was a, a toxic environment. That's why we weren't a good football team. It's, it's just why we weren't. I don't know how much the coach had to do with that. Maybe he had to do with more of us as football players, but it just things weren't, weren't a cohesive unit for a team to be successful. And that's what you need in any life. You, you need a cohesive you, you need smart people. You need everybody trying to work together and build together. You don't need all these controversial storylines keep popping up out of nowhere. But all those things I described to you, parents complaining about coaches, kids quitting when they know they're not starting, kids that know they can't play that position trying to play that position, people getting petitions to get the coach fired, talking behind teammates' backs, getting arrested, doing all this extracurricular stuff that we know does not help you win football games. That's what's been going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Look at all the storylines this season. Is LeBron staying or going? Rodney Hood doesn't want to go in the game because he's not playing. Tristan Thompson and the Kardashians. Kevin Love comes out with mental health issues. Tyron Lue needs to take a, a sabbatical because he's tired of LeBron. Is LeBron James really the head coach? Do LeBron James and the owner, Dan Gilbert, do they really like each other? What's their relationship like? It's not good. It's toxic. Isaiah Thomas thinks he's better than he is in Cleveland. Kyrie Irving is threatening to have surgery so he doesn't have to play with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They don't trade him. These are storylines that have been going on this year with the Cleveland Cavaliers. None of them are good. LeBron is the only viable player on the Cavaliers roster right now. He's averaging 33 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists this postseason. The rest of the Cavs roster has been mediocre, and that's being kind. Tristan Thompson is averaging five rebounds per game. If Tristan Thompson can't get you 10 rebounds in the postseason, then Tristan Thompson has no value being on the court. J.R. Smith is shooting 37% from the field. If J.R. Smith isn't hitting shots, J.R. Smith has no value being on the court. Kevin Love can't guard a soul, and he's getting eaten alive by Al Horford in the conference finals. George Hill is a bench player. That's their starting point guard. I remember in Game 7 where LeBron was like, we got to go with our horses that got us here, our guys that have big playoff experience, our guys. So they decided to start George Hill, LeBron James, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, and J.R. Smith. Now, I just told you, if J Tristan, J.R., George Hill, you're relying on these three guys at their stages of their career right now? Uh, That's not a good thing. And Kyle Korver is your third best scoring option. That is never a good thing. Kyle Korver is, should be your eighth best player on your team. Kyle Korver on some nights is their third best player. And this is all, this all started at the beginning of the year, August I think it was, when the Cavaliers decided to make a huge mistake. And that mistake was trading Kyrie Irving and that mistake was trading Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, and the Brooklyn Nets pick. Here's what I said the day Kyrie Irving was traded. But the Cavs lost that trade. If we look back, they had to trade Jay Crowder to the Utah Jazz, Isaiah Thomas to the Los Angeles Lakers, and Ante Zizic is a non-factor. He's just not a non-factor. 
what part of this is the Cavs win? They have the eighth overall pick. And we didn't think the Nets ended up not being as bad as we thought. So the, the, the Cavs didn't even get the number one pick. The Cavs got exposed. And let me tell you something about good organizations. When people tell me that Kyrie Irving was going to have threatened to have surgery, and that's why that the Cavs should have traded him because it would have been a, you know, he's starting to have surgery, so what do you do? You know what I say? I'm a Lakers fan. You know what the Lakers did in 2007 when Kobe Bean Bryant was upset with the Lakers after losing in the first round, kept losing the first round, not missing the playoffs? Kobe Bryant said, I wanted to trade. Kobe Bryant and I quote said, I'd rather play on the planet Pluto than play in Los Angeles. And you know about Dr. Jerry Buss, one of the greatest team owners ever for the one of the greatest franchises? He said, Kobe, we're not trading you, Kobe. You're under contract. We're paying you $30-plus million a year. You ain't going nowhere. You ain't going nowhere. And they got Pau Gasol, three straight finals appearance, two finals later. You don't requiesce to a, a superstar trying to bully you. But maybe that did happen because this is Cleveland. Cleveland's only won one championship in basketball. They're not the Los Angeles Lakers. They don't have that brand to stand up on. To get respect, you have to earn respect. The Cavaliers or the Cavaliers organization has done many things wrong. They've done many things wrong. They haven't done many things right. They give J.R. Smith a long-term contract who's playing awful. They give Tristan Thompson a long-term contract who's playing awful. They trade for Jordan Clarkson and think that's going to get LeBron James to stay. Oh, I want Jordan Clarkson. And the owner alienated their best player after he left Cleveland the first time. Which is why Dan Gilbert and LeBron James is such a toxic environment, which has been reported numerous times by multiple outlets now. People said it had racial undertones about what Dan Gilbert, his letter to LeBron James after LeBron made the decision in 2010. This is the type of organization we're talking about. The one thing the Cleveland Cavaliers have done right, LeBron James happened to be born in Akron, Ohio, which is close to the Cleveland area. They drafted LeBron James in 2003 with the number one overall pick. And they signed LeBron James in 2014 when LeBron James wanted to come back to Cleveland and bring the city of Cleveland a championship. Those are the three things in that exact order that the Cleveland Cavaliers have done right. Besides that, what have the Cleveland Cavaliers ever done to be right? They're not a great organization. LeBron James runs the organization. And let me tell you, this is one of my biggest problems with LeBron. When your player runs the organization, that's how you know your organization has problems. Let me get back to the Lakers. The Lakers decided to pick Shaq, Kobe over Shaq when they were having their beef. The Lakers made the decision. They didn't let players run the organization. When Kobe said, like I said, he wanted to go to Planet Pluto, they told Kobe to sit his butt down. The organization dictates, the organization makes decisions. That's how smooth and nice organizations run. Isn't it funny that way? Isn't it funny that way? Coming up next on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have John Alphys coming on the show. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. John Alphys with us, Cleveland Cavaliers, beat reporter for AP Radio Media Networks. How are you doing, John? Doing well, Daryl. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, the Cleveland Cavaliers, if I told you at, after they traded Kyrie Irving that the Cleveland Cavaliers would be down 2-0 to the Boston Celtics without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, what would you have said to me? Yeah, it's kind of strange how... The Cavs are, are going to the Eastern Conference Finals without Kyrie, and the Celtics are doing the same without Kyrie. Uh, I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty stunned. I actually thought 76ers uh, were were the heavy favorites in their matchup in the Eastern Conference Semifinals, and it just, I think the young talent on that 76ers team kind of folded to the pressure, especially in the late game moments. I thought the Celtics outcoached uh, the 76ers, and. Uh, between coaching, hard effort, and, and kind of that grit uh, and, and tenacious defense that they have, it's kind of carried them uh, all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals with a 2-0 lead. Um, 
yeah, I've been surprised. I mean, I'll be honest, I've been surprised. I think Brad Stevens is a great coach, but when you have your two best players out for the whole postseason, uh, that's a huge hole, and you know, you're really putting a lot of the burden, uh, a lot of the workload uh, on the younger players, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I mean, these are guys who are our age. I mean, yeah. Jason Tatum is Jason Tatum. 19 years old. So <laughs> I don't, He can't incredible. buy a drink yet. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's pretty incredible what, what they've been able to do. and We'll see if they can kind of yeah. close it out. I mean, this will certainly be a tough series. I think you're going at least six, seven games. Obviously, this game three, the game three tomorrow, is a muscling game for the Cavaliers. But do you think it's time to panic yet in Cleveland? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, when LeBron scores forty-two points, ten rebounds, twelve assists, and you still lose by quite a big margin, yeah, that is concerning. I mean, Kevin Love's been stepping up a bit. You know, I, I know he stepped up big time in that Toronto series. Maybe a little bit of panic. I think if they can win these next two home games and can kind of get that solid core of, of Hill, LeBron, and Love, if they can get them all going and playing well at the same time, I think the Cavs can get back on track. But, yeah, I, I think it is a bit of a panic time just because LeBron's playing his best basketball, and really we, we've ever seen him play like this, and uh, they're still not winning games. So the supporting cast for the Cavs is just – not there right now. I mean, you look at the Rockets, you have Eric Gordon scoring 27 points. You have, um, you know, P.J. Tucker scoring 22 points. The Cavs don't have secondary scorers like that. Um, so, you know, obviously the Western Conference is, is quite stronger than the East, but, you know, just look at some of these other teams in the postseason, it seems like the Cavs lack that supporting cast around LeBron. And it seemed like the depth was going to be one of the strengths of this team, especially when, you know, they made all those moves at the trade deadline for Rodney Hood, um, and Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, they've been non-existent uh, really the whole postseason. So I think depth is kind of a concern because you're really not getting much else uh, from anyone besides LeBron Love. Now you mentioned LeBron James. He plays great and they lose. He plays bad and they lose in game one. What type of right. game does LeBron need to have? I mean, <laughs> there's not much more he can do here, right? Yeah, I, I think I saw a stat that said LeBron... When he's down 2-0 in a series and playing at home in Game 3, 6-0. So, traditionally, the, the history would say that LeBron is quite successful in these situations. You know, when, the, when it seems when, when the pressure is against him, when he needs a big performance, he comes through. He kind of thrives in times of adversity. We've kind of grown accustomed to that with this Cavaliers team. As for LeBron's performance tonight, I mean, I think you could very well see 35-plus points, probably a triple-double. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the key to a victory, though. I mean, he certainly will play well and, and carry the load and have a strong performance, but you need 20 points from Love. You need 15 points from George Hill. You need someone else besides those three, uh, whether it's Nance, Hood, Clarkson, uh, anyone really, Corver, Smith, someone to just give you 15 points as well. Uh, you need at least four or five double-digit scores uh, if you want to win this game. I mean, I think the Cavs with the, Ra uh, with the Raptors series, they had six, seven double-figure scores, and that was kind of the key with that depth. Uh, we haven't seen that so much this series. So they can get an all-around effort from their whole roster. Uh, I think they'll bode a lot better than just relying on a big performance from LeBron. Now, theoretically, like you said, I mean, the, the Cavs, they were getting that you know, that bench support, that supporting cast support against the Raptors, who are the number one seed in the East with 59 wins, but they're not getting it against the Celtics, against a Celtics team without their two best players. Why do you think that is, that the role players can't produce now? I think the Celtics are a better defensive team. I think the Celtics, I think the Raptors were a much better matchup for the Cavs. I thought the Cavs just fit their, their style. I mean, that was just a, a matchup that they were going to win. Um, I look at the Celtics as kind of like a tougher Pacers team in that they match up with the Cavs. They play just as tough defense, probably tougher defense. Um, you know, I think Nate McMillan was coached the, the Cavs pretty well uh, when he was on when the Pacers faced the Cavs. I think Brad Stevens is even a tougher matchup. So I think this is just kind of a, a tougher Indiana Pacers team in the Boston Celtics in that they can play defense. They have youth, um, and, and they're just – when it comes to those closing moments, they've been able to, to kind of close out games and put the Cavs away. I mean, you remember the Cavs 
that first half they were knocking down threes. I'm talking about the first half in game two, they were knocking down threes and really uh, looked like the Cavs had the advantage in game two, at least the first half. And Celtics didn't back down. I mean, they, they really didn't. They just stuck, stuck with them the whole way. And it's kind of a testament to what their mentality is, what their coaches kind of told them. And, you know, you look at their roster, it, it might not have their best two players, but there's still talent there. I mean, Terry Rozier is an NBA point guard. He's a legit NBA point guard. And then you have these younger guys at Brown and Tatum, and then you have Al Horford, and all of a sudden you're looking at a team that very well could go to the Easter, or go to the NBA Finals. Um, they just don't have a superstar, and they've been able to kind of work through that, uh, at least so far. Is it safe to say that, you know, even the Cleveland Cavaliers players like a J.R. Smith, a Kyle Korver, a George Hill, they're all okay, but they all have limitations. They all have weaknesses. They're not guys that you can consistently rely on. They're just not, you know, for the most part, good basketball players. Could they are going to be made there. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the problem is with some of these cast players is they're being thrusted into roles they've never really been in. I mean, J.R. Smith has been historically a sixth man. I mean, his whole career he's been, I believe he has a few sixth man of the year awards. Now you're putting him in that starting lineup and asking him to be your third scorer. He's never done that. Uh, so you really can't expect him to put up that kind of production. Same thing with Corver. I mean, this guy has never been a main scorer for a team. He's never been a third option for a team. He's always been a guy who's going to give you an open three and, and play marginal defense. I mean, it, 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 the Cavs have shooters, and they certainly have a lot of talented players, guys who have kind of been there before and done that. Um, I, I think the closest guy to a, a third score, if you want to talk about a big three, would probably be George Hill, but he's these last two years have been the worst of his career. He's been suffering injuries, whether it's his toe or his back. Uh, just his career's kind of fallen off a bit, tailed off a bit, uh, especially this year. He really struggled in Sacramento. So I think the Cavs just don't have players who have kind of been in that position before, and that's what happens when you lose Kyrie. That's what happens when you trade away Isaiah Thomas. Uh, you know, you trade away guys who have kind of been premier scorers before. They don't have that. Uh, so you're kind of giving guys elevated roles that they've never been in. And, yeah, you're going to get a mixed bag of results, and it shows. I mean, you can't really expect 20 points from Kyle Korver every night. It's just not going to happen because he's never been that guy. So, uh, yeah, I, I think just the way the season has gone for the Cavs, it's the Kyrie trade actually obviously has a huge impact on, on really the whole complexion of the organization. How important is it for LeBron James to have, you know, a, that guard that can be a dual penetrator, like a Kyrie Irving, like how Isaiah Thomas was supposed to be, like how Dwayne Wade was in Miami. How important is that for LeBron James? Just take the pressure off of him. Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, I, I think you see down the closing minutes of these past few games, it's, you know, it, last year you could go Kyrie. You know, you could have Kyrie, you know, dribble penetration, step back three, really do just about anything. You know, as a defense, when you have Kyrie and LeBron on the same team, you can't put all your attention towards LeBron. You just can't because he's not the only scorer on the floor. Now it's like, why, why pay attention to anyone else? I mean, we can we can look at Love, but Love's LeBron's the guy you, you, you really want to swarm on defense, uh, especially when there's not a elite second scorer like Kyrie. So, yeah, having a penetrator, having a guy who can kind of steer attention away from LeBron is huge. Uh, the Cavs have kind of been able to make up for it a bit with some three-point shooters. I mean, that'll get some attention around the perimeter. Uh, but when you're not knocking down shots from three-point range, this Cavs team is very weak, uh, I think. When when they don't have a guy they can kind of go to in those closing moments outside of LeBron, it's very easy to, to defend. You just go after LeBron, you double-team him, you triple-team him, you put that attention towards him until another player uh, proves that he can shoot and score. Uh, so, so right now, the Cavs are just inconsistent in that way, and I think that's just a result of losing Kyrie and not having as much star power on the roster. Is it safe to say that Kobe Altman got fleeced by Danny Ainge? Um, I think Kobe Altman made the best of the situation. Um, you know, if, if the reports are true and if what everyone has said is true, Kyrie really wanted to leave the team and threatened to have knee surgery if they didn't trade him. 
uh, you know, I, I think you're kind of out of options there. You really have to make a move, and uh, it, yeah, I mean, the trade is. Now, the thing that's really impressed me with Brad Stevens is, you know, more than just his X's and O's, is he's he's having his guys peak at the right peak at the right the right time. And I think we sometimes underestimate that in sports. It's all about if you have your guys just feeling good mentally and physically in the postseason, you know, being able to play their best best basketball, right? But Tyron Lue, he's not having his guys peak. In fact, you could say he's having his guys plateau, and it's like going down, 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 down. Why do you think Brad Stevens? Because Brad Stevens is able to get the best version out of every single one of his guys, and I don't think Tyron Lue right now is getting the best version out of his guys. Why can't Ty Lue do that? I think with the Cavs, it's just you, you got to keep in mind this Cavs team is brand new. I mean, they traded away nine different players uh, at the trade deadline. You know, they had guys before the year that they got rid of, whether it's Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye. I mean, the Cavs completely redid their roster. I mean, they, they literally made something that's never been done before. What the Cavs have done is just unprecedented. Uh, trading away nine guys, acquiring six at the trade deadline. So when you have that change and you have that whole new roster coming in, there's so many adjustments to make. And I still don't think the Cavs have a solidified rotation, a solidified mix. Uh, d- d- just the way he allocates his playing time, I still don't think it's there. Um, so I think the Cavs just don't, they haven't solidified a roster. Like a, a, a structured way of playing the game yet. Uh, it, it seems like it's just something different every time, a different starting lineup. Um, is Tristan Thompson going to play 20 minutes, or is Larry Nance going to play 30 minutes? Or, you know, how, how is it going to work? You never really know with this cast team right now. It's kind of unpredictable. I know a reporter asked him, how much, why is Rodney Hood still in the rotation? You know, and he said, well, we're trying to find a score. You know, they're still looking for an answer. Um, so with so many moving parts and so many new players, I think the Cavs are just kind of searching for answers. And with Tyron Lue, I, I don't know if he's not getting the best out of his players. Um, I think just in general, I, I, I don't think he knows what's the best fit for this team, what's the best way to play this team. He knows LeBron should play 40 minutes. But outside of that, I don't even know if he, he knows how much to play Kevin Love. I don't know if he knows how much to play Kyle Korver. You know, there's been games where Corbin played three minutes. There's games where he played 30 minutes. So there's just so many inconsistencies with this Cavs team. And, and maybe that's a testament to, to Lou and, and his coaching strategy. Um, obviously, it's been kind of a – it's had its peaks and valleys uh, so far. Uh, whereas Brad Stevens, he's kind of rolled out this roster the whole season. They really didn't make any trade deadline moves. They've stuck with the same group, and he's had kind of a formula that's worked for them. Uh, that's been able to have success even without Kyrie. So I think the biggest difference is the coaches just have had completely different seasons and that the Celtics have used the same roster. The Cavs have completely changed their roster. So I, I think it's just a lot of adjustments for Lou, uh, some of them good, some of them bad. Uh, so we'll see how he kind of tinkers with it moving forward. Obviously, he's kind of running out of time here, and he needs to find the right formula. You think the biggest difference between this Celtics team and Celtics teams in years past is in the LeBron James era, you know, in Cleveland part two is that he has a Tatum, he has a Jalen Brown, he has these young athletic wings that can go score points, that can go, you know, check LeBron for a little bit. He has a leader in Al Horford. Do you think that's the biggest difference between, like, this Celtics team and the Celtics team last year? Um, I don't know. I don't know how different this Celtics team is than previous years. I, I think 
Horford's obviously huge, and he's had a good series. He's had a nice three-point shot, nice inside shot. He's a leader. Um, I, I think Marcus Morris is a nice addition for them. Um, I, I don't know how much different. That's kind of a testament to way the, the way they play. Uh, just a team that never really uh, backs down and, and kind of has that never-quit mentality. What's been the biggest surprise of the series to you? The, the, what you've noticed that that, should, that shocked you so far? Um, I, I think Tatum, just, just seeing what he's been able to do on the big stage. It seems like, you know, at, at 19 years old, the third overall pick, you know, we kind of saw it with Simmons a bit there uh, in the previous series, Ben Simmons. But he's just been so composed and so relaxed. I mean, the way he plays the game, he, he's starting to look like a superstar already. Um, just just to be at that age and be able to pull, perform at such a high level. Also, I think Jalen Brown, I mean, he coming out of college, he wasn't a guy who was too high on. He didn't play incredibly well last year. I mean, he had a few good games, but you know, he's more been kind of a potential guy who's kind of an athlete. Uh, he might be good further down the road, but both of those guys have stepped up huge uh, for this team. And I think now you look at the Celtics moving forward. I mean, this this could be a, a team that's a few players away from really starting a dynasty. Uh, you know, they're that good. If you bring back Hayward, you bring back Kyrie, uh, and, and maybe you have the pieces to trade for a Kawhi Leonard or something like that. I mean, yeah, it, it's just kind of been impressive what these younger players have been able to do. I mean, you kind of figure in the postseason, and we've definitely seen it with the Cavs. I mean, Rodney Hood hasn't been good. Jordan Clarkson hasn't been good. Larry Nance hasn't been good. Those are all young, talented players who have kind of folded to the pressure of the postseason. We haven't seen that with Jason Tatum. We haven't seen that with Jalen Brown. So I, I think that's kind of surprised me the most. That's what's carried them through those first two games at home. Um, the Celtics are a tough team to beat at home, and you know, when their young players are thriving under those pressures, yeah, it, it's going to be very tough. And I think these next two games, the Cavs have to kind of send a statement, get some convincing wins, uh, and put the pressure back on Boston because certainly haven't seen them folding to that pressure just yet. Were we all sleeping on the Celtics' talent? Because you mentioned a Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Were we just all like, you know, we, we know they're young, but did we ever truly realize how, like, truly good these kids are? Because they are very, very good. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people weren't too familiar with them. I mean, we knew Tate, who Tatum was, we knew who Brown was, but I, I think underestimate is, is a fair statement. I mean, it, it just seemed like without Kyrie, this team doesn't have the star power to really go anywhere. But when you consider their, their top two player, two of their top two players were top three picks uh, in the last two drafts. I mean, if you hit those picks, if you get the right player. They're going to be good. I mean, a top-five pick realistically should be a top-two, top-three player on your team eventually. Uh, and, and certainly we've seen glimpses of that with Tatum and Brown. And I think underestimate, yeah, it's a fair thing to say because they've been able to do the job so far. I think just the age and, and the big stage is kind of what has led people to this underestimation. But it's kind of been fun to watch. I mean, they're, they're talented athletes. They're not going to get tired. Uh, they're going to give you 30, 35 minutes. They're going to really kind of put all the pressure on, on LeBron and try to you know do everything they can to stop him uh, because, you know, really no one has stopped LeBron uh, on the Celtics in previous years. I mean, this is a team that LeBron traditionally dominates. So uh, it, it's been fun to watch to see what they've been able to do. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if they even understand what they're doing right now, you know, playing on the big stage and having this – big pressure situation to kind of just playing basketball enjoying it and uh you know it's it's kind of what they expected them to do when they drafted them they, they wanted them to be superstars on the big stage eventually uh we're just probably seeing it earlier than anticipated how much do you think just you know the whole season the Kyrie trade you know then the mid-season trades is LeBron James staying or going just everything, just the culmination of everything. How much do you think that's just weighing, wearing on all of the players in Cleveland? Um, I don't know if LeBron staying or leaving is, is weighing on them too much, uh, at least right now. I don't even think it's weighing on LeBron. I think he'll make that decision when the season passes. Um, but it does, it does feel like a big weight on this team's shoulders. I don't know how much it is on the players. Um, but certainly as fans and, and 
uh, even the media, it's, it seems like there's just so much kind of dragging with this team. Um, it, it just seems like there's always something different going on with them. You know, I know Rodney Hood the other day refused to enter the game because, you know, he didn't get playing time before. And, uh, you know, it seems like there's always some sort of drama. You know, I know earlier in the year they said, you know, how there were some situations in the locker room that didn't work well and uh, players didn't get along, the chemistry wasn't there. It seems like there's always something going on with this team, and there's a bit of drama. Um, but, you know, they've, they've kind of addressed that drama and said, you know, this is where we thrive. You know, we play well when, uh, you know, the cameras are on us and people are asking about the, the controversial issues going on in the locker room, and they've been able to work through it in years past. Whether they do that this year remains to be seen. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that there's – it just seems like there's been so much going on with this team, whether it's Tyron Lue, whether it's uh, LeBron James, Kevin Love. It seems like there's just been something going on with each player that's kind of made headlines. Um, you know, Tyron Lue was away from the team for a while. Kevin Love, um, you know, was away from the team. Uh, there's been injuries. There's been trades. There's been just about everything. I mean, you really can't put anything else into this Cavaliers season. There's been literally everything. Uh, happening with this team, um, but I, I think the team just likes that. That's what LeBron likes. That's what he plays well with, and uh, we'll see how they do uh, moving forward. What do you think? Because I've always felt this about Cleveland. They've always felt, you know, it's going to be all right. We have LeBron James, and for the first time, I get the feeling that, you know, not that there's doubt, but everybody's like, okay, we we really need this. You know, things might not be all right. Do you think that's playing a role? Like, maybe not in LeBron's mind, because LeBron's been there before, but a guy like a Jordan Clarkson, a guy like, you know, a J.R. Smith, who can lose focus from time to time, those type of guys. Mm-hmm. Make it affect uh, them. Can you repeat that question? Do you think that, you know, the being down 2-0 in a series, do you think that affects, you know, the role players like a J.R. Smith, a Jordan Clarkson? I think, you know, you look at this Cavs team, you have to keep in mind, there's only four players from that 2016 NBA Finals team. You know, you have LeBron, you have JR, you have Thompson, and uh, I think you have, you have Love. Those are the only four players from that team that came back from a 3-1 deficit. So, you know, you have that core who, who's been able to fight through that, that deficit, whether it's 2-0, 3-1. Um, or just, you know, coming back from a 3-2 deficit and winning in Game 7. So you had that, but you mentioned Clarkson, you mentioned Hood. Uh, just the younger players on this team, they haven't been here before. I mean, they played for the Lakers. They haven't been in the postseason. So they they really don't have that experience that the, the other players in this Cavs team have. Um, I think Hill, you obviously have a plenty of playoff experience. Um, but, yeah, for these role players, I think when you have a deficit like this, it does raise the pressure, and it does, uh, you know, force them to, to kind of shoulder more of the workload moving forward because that's been this team's problem. They really haven't had that role player step up. I mean, Love's had a few good games, but he's really been kind of meeting his season averages. I believe he only exceeded him uh, one or two times. So you need guys to really kind of exceed what they've done all year and uh, step up and, and when you have a deficit like this, it's really all hands on deck because, you know, the Cavs can go to 11, 12 players right now. I mean, they can, they can go to pretty deep into their bench if they want to. They have, they have plenty of options there, uh, but it's just a matter of finding which ones step up. So when you're facing a deficit like this, um, it, it can be a lot. I think I think the pressure's raised, and the Cavs certainly has some playoff experience, but the talent isn't as much as it was in previous years. So, uh, it, it's going to be a tall task. It's going to be tough for LeBron to return to the finals just because of the players around him, not because of himself. Now, so something interesting to me, uh, Chris Bouchard uh, made a point like a week ago on FS1 that I found very interesting, which has kind of been like an underlying storyline uh, with the Celtics winning, is that Kyrie Irving might not be too thrilled because, you know, he left Cleveland to be the guy, quote-unquote, and now he's seeing, you know, Jason Tatum be the guy, Jalen Brown be the guy. It's, it's all Brad Stevens. Everybody's giving Brad Stevens the praise and the love and the admiration. Do you think that bothers Kyrie a little bit? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if it bothers him too much. I, I know Kyrie likes um, 
he, Kyrie wants to be a star player. I mean, that that's obvious. And some think he, he's, he is a star player. I know he, he was in the MVP conversation earlier this year and, uh, you know, certainly was stepping up and kind of being the center of this Boston franchise. Uh, I, I think he understands that Brad Stevens is a good coach. I think all the players do on that Celtics team. Um, I think Stevens deserves this notoriety and this, this praise. Um, I, I don't know if it bothers Kyrie. I, I'm sure he, he's thought about it and that's kind of crossed his mind. Um, but I, I don't know if it's too much of an issue uh, right now just because oh, they're a successful team. I mean, they, they've been in for – for the, for the majority of the season, they were in first place in the Eastern Conference. So, um, I don't know. I think that, that just the new team, the new organization, just a, a fresh start for Kyrie. I think he's okay with it. Uh, you know, I think he's excited for where this team's headed moving forward. Now, real quickly, I just have a couple rapid-fire questions for you. Who would you rather have, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Tatum. Does this series at any way impact whether LeBron James stays or goes? Uh, I think it does. Um, I, I think if the Cavs lose this series, whether it's in five games or six games, even seven games, I, th- I think it's going to be hard for LeBron to, to want to come back. I think if you go back to the finals, not so much. And if LeBron James gets back to the finals, can he beat the Warriors or the Rockets? Uh, <laughs> I think he can win a game or two. <laughs> That's, <know>. John- <laughs> That's John Alphys. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show, John. No problem. Thanks for having me. back with barbershop sports talk once again i want to thank john alphys for coming on the show really appreciate that john's graduating in a couple days from john carroll university so i appreciate him making time to come on the show always love john's insight as a reporter always love his insight he's going to the Cavs game tonight actually so there's a saying right and it's something you know tyrone wheatley uh, former michigan running back former michigan great Michigan high school grade actually in track and football played in the NFL for about a decade for the Giants and the Oakland Raiders respectively he, he told me something I always found this really really interesting he said football it's not so much about the X's and O's as it is about the Jim's and Joe's now it's funny like why would he say that it's not about the X's and O's but the Jim's and Joe's and it goes for this for all sports it's more so about the players than the coach especially in professional sports it's not about how much talent you have. It's not. It's not how much. It's not how great of a coach you are. How much naturally talented of a coach you are. It's not about how how great at play calls you are. It's not about the gameplay, how you implement it, the offensive, the defensive schemes. It's about, simply put, the talent you have. Now you can enhance that talent. You can coach people. And you can make people better. But what at the end of the day it comes down to is: Do you have people that can play, or do you not? We act like Brad Stevens is carrying the Boston Celtics. Brad Stevens is the reason the Celtics beat the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Brad Stevens is the reason the Celtics beat the Philadelphia 76ers. Brad Stevens is the reason the Celtics are up 2-0 against the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. We put Brad Stevens on this elevated level as a head coach. He's better than Greg Popovich. I've heard people say that. He's better than Phil Jackson was. Red Auerbach, Steve Kerr, Larry Brown, you name them. But let's realize, Brad Stevens has some pretty damn good players. He's not coaching scrubs here. This isn't the 2001 Philadelphia 76ers that Allen Iverson drugged to an NBA Finals. Only to lose in five games to the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. This isn't the 2017, the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers that lost to San Antonio Spurs in the NBA Finals, that LeBron James drugged that team, where Zoranis Elgowskis was like the second best player on the team, and they got swept by the San Antonio Spurs. And it's not the 2018 Cavaliers right now that LeBron James is dragging the Eastern Conference Finals that the Celtics are facing now. Brad Stevens has a bunch of talent on this roster. 
The Celtics have multiple lottery picks. Jason Tatum was drafted number three overall. Jalen Brown was drafted number three overall. Al Horford was a number three overall pick. Marcus Smart was number six overall. Marcus Morris was number 14th overall. Terry Rozier was number 16th overall. Now, six, really, these are about their six best players. We're all lottery picks with the exception of Terry Rozier. The lottery's pick one through 15. Terry Rozier was pick 16. So one pick away from the lottery. So basically a lottery pick, but all their picks were high for, were, were, were the, in the first half of the draft. Were the first half of the draft. So this isn't like he's getting, these are all these second round picks that we didn't know about. I mean, Al, Al Horford was a two-time champion at Florida. Jason Tatum played for the Duke Blue, Duke Blue Devils and Mike Krzyzewski. Terry Rozier played at Louisville. Marcus Morris played at Kansas. These guys, Mar- Marcus Smart played at Oklahoma State. All these guys played for reputable programs, college programs. Celtics have a lot of talent. I'm telling you, they have a lot of talent. Tatum will be a 25-point-per-game scorer in a couple of years. Jalen Brown will be one of the best two-way players in basketball in a couple of years. Terry Rozier could start. For most teams in the NBA. And I'll say, if he leaves Boston, he's a 35-point-per-minute guy, a 35-minute guy, he could be an 18.8-assist guy. I could see Terry Rozier being that. Or a guy that's competing for six-man of the year, year in and year out. Al Horford is one of the best two-way players in the NBA. Marcus Morris is a really good role player. Marcus Smart is great off the bench. That's what the Celtics are working with. That's what Brad Stevens is working with. He has a roster loaded with talent. Jason Tatum was the best player on the floor with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons also taking the court. We have discussed around... People have discussed in the NBA. You have discussed in the NBA. People think that Ben Simmons will be the next LeBron James. People say that Joel Embiid is the next Hakeem Olajuwon. And, And Jason Tatum took the floor with those two guys. And was the best player on the court. Al Horford outplayed Joel Embiid in that series. The Celtics have about three or four players that you would rather have over Kevin Love. The Cleveland Cavaliers' second best player. Let's look at stats this postseason. Jalen Brown is averaging 18 points per game. Shooting 50% from the field and 40% from three. Jason Tatum's averaging 18 points per game. Shooting 46% from the field. 84% from the free throw line. Al Horford is averaging 17 points. Shooting 57% from the field. And averaging 8.4 rebounds and 1.4 blocks per game. Marcus Smart is averaging 10 points and a steal off the bench. Marcus Morris is averaging 13 points and 5.4 rebounds off the bench. And Aaron Baines is averaging 6 rebounds and 6 points while shooting 50% from three. The Boston Celtics have seven real basketball players on their roster. They have seven legitimate basketball players on their roster. Guys that can play. They have one of the best two-way players in the league in Al Horford. They have two of the best young and upcoming stars in the league in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They have two of the best role players in the league in Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart. And they have one of the better bench players in the NBA in Aaron Baines. And that potentially, in a couple of years, we could add Terry Rozier to one of the best and upcoming young players in the league with the Jalen Brown, with the Jason Tatum. We could be saying that. So let's not act like Brad Stevens is doing this all on his own because he's not. By next year, the Boston Celtics will be favored to win will be favored to win the Eastern Conference and compete with the Golden State Warriors. Brad Stevens is a great coach, and I'm not taking anything away from Brad Stevens. What he's doing, developing these guys, mentoring these guys, it's spectacular, and I'm taken aback by it. But let's not act like Brad Stevens is is God because he's doing this. Like, Brad Stevens has talent. He has talent. That's what you need in the NBA. You need talent. You need talent. Now, something I've been thinking we should do, NFL predictions, and the first team I'm going to start off with, for this week, we're going to do this every week, we're going to preview all 30 teams, is the Cleveland Browns. Last year, they were 0-16. This is what they're having at the quarterback position. They have Tyrod Taylor. He can run the same offense as Baker Mayfield, their number overall pick this year in the 2018 NFL Draft. 
Tyrod's a serviceable quarterback. He got my Buffalo Bills to the playoffs. Great game manager won't turn the ball over. That's the biggest thing with Tyrod. He won't lose you games. He won't win you games, but, but he won't lose them. Number next, number two, we have Baker Mayfield. Number one overall pick, like I said. He's an electrifying talent. And he's very accurate. He's good at directing the offense in the flow of the game. That's going to be very important because when you look at the Cleveland Browns, they're receivers. They have guys like Josh Gordon, guys like Jarvis Landry. Guys, you can give the ball and let them go. They drafted a Nick Chubb. The Browns are going to have a lot of offensive weapons they can use, and they can have if a guy like Baker Mayfield ends up taking the starting position, Baker Mayfield can use these guys to his advantage. But the offensive line is my concern for the offense. Joel Benito is their only good offensive lineman that we know of right now. Joe Thomas has been a mainstay for the Cleveland Browns for the last 10 to 15 years. He's retired. Lots of their other offensive linemen have struggled. The Cleveland Browns are going to need to find some offensive linemen, and that's going to be a struggle throughout the season. The defense is where the Browns' strength will be. They have three legitimate linebackers that can tackle and cover. I call them three-down linebackers. You could have them on first and second down for the run, and you could have them on third down for pass. That's great. Great gives you great versatility. Joe Scubert had under 44 tackles last year. Christian Kirksky had under 38 tackles last year. And Jamie Collins had 131 tackles a couple of years ago when he was in New England. But he struggled to gain his form a little bit in Cleveland because of injuries and whatnot. He had 31 tackles last year and only six games of action. If Jamie Collins is able to play all all the games this year, I like him to be a 100-tackle guy. That's three legit linebackers you have that can cover the run and the pass. The defensive line should be very good. You have Miles Garrett, the number one pick in the 2017 NFL Draft. Miles Garrett's a freak. He had seven sacks last year. Look for a big 10-plus sack season. They have Emmanuel Ogbua, a young, talented defensive lineman that registered 10 sacks over the last two years. You also have Lariana Joby, who had 32 tackles in one sack last year, and Trevon Cooley, who had 41 tackles in two sacks last year. This is a young defensive line with all players that are in their second or third year football. Look for these guys you need to start hitting their peak and to start hitting that curve when you learn the NFL game and you start your, your level ups. They have one of the Browns have the one of the most the youngest and one of the most talented defensive lines in the NFL. Then you have a talented secondary. Denzel Ward from Ohio State, the Browns' fourth overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft. Denzel Ward was said by many football aficionados that cover the draft that he's the best man-to-man corner in the draft. Not a lot of big play potential. Only had one pick at Ohio State last year. You also have Jabril Peppers, who was solid at the safety position last year, averaging a 57-tackle season, but not a lot of big play potential just like Denzel Ward. Jabril Peppers had one pick last year. And then you have TJ Carey at the cornerback position. 84 tackles, but not a lot of big play potential as he had zero picks last year. I like this Cleveland secondary. I think they have talent, but there's no big play potential. They don't have any guys that are ball hawks that can just take the ball away like an Ed Reed type. So with all this, I think the Browns have weaknesses at offensive line, but strengths at defensive line. I think if Tyrod's the starter, that means for the whole season, that means they're doing pretty well on the defensive end. And their young talent is showing on all three levels from defensive line to linebacker to secondary. And while they the secondary can't create a lot of turnovers, they're solid. The Browns will be in a lot of close games this year. And Tyrod Taylor will give them a chance to win many of the games. At the low, the low I have the Cleveland Browns being the worst they can possibly be this year is 4-12. The medium, the most likely scenario I have is 7-9. and nine, And if they reach their utmost potential, I think this team can be 9-7. and seven. Yes, the Cleveland Browns have that much talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Tyrod Taylor doesn't turn it over, keeps things manageable. You let the defense win you the game. This Cleveland Browns team could be a big surprise this NFL season. That was it for our first NFL preview. So coming next on Barbershop Sports Talk, we are going to be entering the second hour, the LNM Radio Network only segment of the show. Catch me always 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on the LNM Radio Network. Or you can just get the Columbia, South Carolina app and you can listen to me anytime. You can listen to me on your phone. I think that'd be a lot easier. Just go to the Play Store and get the Columbia, South Carolina radio app. 
Now coming up next on Barbershop Sports Talk in the second hour, we will have my man, Silas Garrison, coming on the show. I'm going to talk a lot of NFL, NBA, and I'm going to ask Silas what he thinks about gambling. Because sports betting has just been legalized in America. It's up from state to state, but it's just been legalized. I'm going to get Silas Garrison on all those coming up after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk.